I recorded this interview back in August, a few days before Artemis 1 was set to launch. We'd talk about the Artemis missions before knowing if the first launch would actually go as planned. If you're familiar with the launch at all, you probably know that it's been delayed three times now. The first due to a malfunctioning sensor, the second because of a hydrogen leak, and the third because of Tropical Storm Ian, a hurricane headed towards Florida where the Kennedy Space Center is, the takeoff point for the rocket. So while we had hoped the rocket would be on its way back to Earth by now, it hasn't even left the launch pad. But it really doesn't change the sentiment behind this episode. The launch of Artemis 1 is currently scheduled for November 14th, 2022. Fingers crossed that this is the one. Right now though, November looks like a hectic month for space launches. Potentially a hectic day. iSpace, a Japanese startup, confirmed that it will be launching its first commercial moon lander aboard a SpaceX rocket. And this will happen sometime between November 13th and 17th. The aim is to put their moon lander on the lunar surface and deliver two rovers. So with that said, I'm Jacqueline Swan, and this is Technality a podcast that explores how technology is shaping our future. Today, I'm exploring humanity's return to the moon. Meet Sid Saraf. I'm a program lead for space exploration at the Canadian Space Agency. I've worked here for 24 years, and essentially I, I manage uh, lunar exploration projects for the Canadian Space Agency. The Artemis mission is NASA's project to get humanity not just back to the moon, but to establish a base for future missions. Eventually, the plan is to have a lunar base acting as a refueling station for deep space exploration. Artemis is uh, taking off where Apollo left off in the 60s and the 70s. And in Greek mythology, Apollo is the sun god and Artemis is the moon goddess. The last time a human set foot on the surface of the moon was Eugene Cernan in 1972, uh, December, and that's 50 years ago. So 50 years later, we've decided to go back to the moon, uh, and we've decided to go back with humans, not just robotic missions. And Artemis 1 is the first test flight for uh, the NASA Space Launch System. That's the large rocket that's going to carry the Orion spacecraft in which uh, eventually astronauts will, will sit. One of the main reasons we want to go back this time is to stay permanently, to, to stay longer and to have a sustainable infrastructure on the moon so that we have a long-term presence. The idea is not only to get gain the benefits, and there are lots of benefits that we're going to have from uh, establishing a base on the moon, but one of them will be that it, it's a waypoint to other planetary bodies in the solar system. The Mars is the first uh, target. Uh, for for human exploration after Artemis, and uh, there will be robotic missions too to Jupiter and Saturn too. So it's really paving the way for humanity to go out into the solar system. It's very exciting that this is kind of like a build up to more space missions that we have never actually undertaken before. I know, for example, for Artemis 3, uh, NASA recently, as recent as last week, announced at least 13 landing sites, possible landing sites for humans. Uh, they picked the South Polar region. That's another difference between the Apollo mission. The Apollo was closer to the, the equator. For Artemis 3, we're planning to go into the Southern Polar regions where there may be water. Uh, water is one of the commodities that's required for sustainable presence on the moon, but also for fuel. 
Uh, we can extract oxygen and fuel from from that water from the reg lunar regolith, which will help us to you know as a waypoint to to other destinations. Uh, so we're get we're we're getting there. We're getting there fast. Uh, so it'll come by uh, quickly. As I said, they have 13 candidate spots, and as the as the data and the successes and the failures come in, uh, they'll iterate through finding the best spot, the best mission, and then we'll provide that to the public. It'll also be a shorter mission than Artemis One. Artemis One is 42 days. That's because it's uncrewed, except for the three mannequins it has on board. And by the way, those mannequins are designed and have all kinds of sensors to pick up radiation, temperature, and everything that we need to ensure that our astronauts uh, will be safe. Uh, but when the Artemis II goes, goes to the moon, the mission is planned for a minimum of 10 days. So it's much faster and 21 days is the maximum. Again, that's because it's a crewed mission. And when we have humans on board, the safety aspect uh, is critical. And so the, the mission durations are shorter, including uh, for Artemis III after landing, uh, you know, bringing the humans back to, to Earth. It's going to be a shorter mission. The missions after that, Artemis 4 and onwards, I think we'll start to see people staying on them. 50 years has passed since humanity was on the moon. That's 50 years of technological advancements and scientific breakthroughs, an astronomical amount of time for those fields. Driving from Toronto to Ottawa is essentially the distance to the International Space Station. So it's 400 kilometers. So the International Space Station is straight up as opposed to a horizontal distance between Ottawa and Toronto. And the moon is a thousand times that distance. So it's really far. So it requires a lot of power, a lot of fuel to carry a large mass, which includes four astronauts and all the, 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 the systems that will sustain their life and to bring them back safely to Earth. So uh, the amount of energy that's needed is, is quite a lot, but we have had some improvements since Apollo, and that's why you'll see a, a better performance this time around. But computing technology has also improved tremendously, and that's going to be one of the biggest uh, differences between the Apollo missions and the Artemis missions. Uh, during, during the Apollo missions, the computers were not as powerful as your iPhone. Uh, they were as powerful as a calculator, essentially, and they got us to the moon and back safely. This time around, the computing power that, that we have, as, as you know, will be tremendously different. So that's one of the reasons that this is, this is going to be a much more powerful rocket. When I talk to anyone about going back to the moon, I often get the same response. Should we really be doing that? Space exploration, after all, is a costly endeavor. For some, the time and resources could probably be spent elsewhere to improve living conditions on Earth. When I like tell people about the Artemis project, a lot of people's responses are, should we be doing that right now? Because people tend to think that we should be focusing our attention on our problems on Earth rather than trying to escape it. What would you say to those people who are like, we shouldn't be going to space, we should be <laughs> focusing on these problems? It's definitely a valid question. Going to the moon and making it work and sending a human to the moon and bringing them back safely to Earth, it's a very, very challenging endeavor. We cannot possibly do it on our own. And that's why it's an international endeavor. We're bringing many countries that will work together and bring innovation from different sectors. So, for example, Canada is providing its robotics expertise. The U.S. is providing its launch expertise. It's really an international team effort. 
If you want to improve the quality of life on earth, one of the things that you want to do is bring the countries together and have countries work together. So that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of exploration is essentially, I would say that it's in our DNA. If you've ever uh, watched a toddler, explore is what they do uh, right from birth. They're looking around their environment. They're expanding what their capabilities are. They're trying to crawl and they're trying to walk and eventually they leave and they, they expand their, uh, what they've seen and what they can learn. And that's how human beings grow. That's the only way we grow is from difficulty, from challenges, from hardships. And so going to the moon and going into space is essentially going to ensure our survival on Earth. We have to look at things like radiation protection for astronauts, isolation, have early detection of disease and recover. And we have to do that from very large distances. So we're improving telehealth, for example, to being able to do surgery on astronauts from a distance. That will have tremendous benefits and technologies and innovation that will help people right here back on Earth. Climate change, you know, to be able to work in a harsh environment and to be self-sustainable, that's exactly what we have to demonstrate on the moon. The moon by itself is not, it does not sustain life. Uh, human beings actually have to create uh, innovations to be able to do that. And so whatever we learn in being able to do this difficult endeavor, we bring back to Earth. So the focus of space exploration has always been improving the, the, the life back here on Earth. Since the dawn of time, uh, mankind has not ever been able to live sustainably in the same place without moving, without exploring, without expanding. So space exploration is really about human survival. After the break, we'll look at how the Artemis mission is breaking barriers and setting us up for the future. Twelve American men have landed on the moon. Because back then, America going to the moon was to prove it could do it. Once they had, it stopped making financial sense. Nowadays, we have the technology and resources to start looking at the moon and beyond again, giving us not only a goal, but financial incentive to go back. And with that comes breaking down the barriers from 50 years ago. The main difference between the Apollo mission and Artemis is essentially we're working with the European Space Agency and we're also working with Japan on, on Artemis and Lunar Gateway. Uh, so it's really an international endeavor and we're going to go much further together. Only 12 human beings have been on the moon in the past, 12 men. And this time around, the intention is to have a woman and a person of color to land on the moon in 2025. So that's going to be very exciting. Then there's the robotic missions that will set up the infrastructure and have a permanent base uh, on the moon. So I'm really looking forward to that permanent uh, station on the moon, which, which, you know, communicates with the earth. From there, you know, as they say, the sky used to be the limit, and now it's no longer the sky, but the solar system is the limit. So we'll, we may be having robotic missions to Mars. We eventually will have human missions to Mars. And I really hope in my lifetime, a human being will land on the surface of Mars. So that's really where, where we're heading. This podcast looks at how tech affects the world, but as a Canadian, I'm proud of the contributions Canada is making to space exploration, especially when it comes to the future of the Artemis missions, because Canada will be playing some critical roles. So for Canada, what's really exciting is with Artemis 2, after a successful Artemis 1 mission, Canada will become the second country in the world to ever have traveled to the moon. 
besides the United States. So that's very exciting for Canada. We are also contributing the Canada Arm 3. So Canada has a global leadership in space robotics. We have the Canada Arm 1 on the space shuttle. In 2001, we provided Canada Arm 2 for the International Space Station. We are going to provide Canada Arm 3. So that's going to be a much lighter, a much smaller uh, robotic arm. And the main difference, main improvement from the previous arms will be the fact that it will be based on artificial intelligence technologies. Just because of the distance from the Earth to the Moon, we have uh, communication delays. Any urgencies or any repairs needed when astronauts are not on board, and that could be the case, we will have the station which will not be crewed at times. We require the robotic arm to be able to function to maintain the gateway station on its own. So a lot of artificial intelligence technologies, which Canada is a global leader in, will be applied. Uh, we're also working currently to provide a lunar rover. That will be the flagship rover for Canada, which we intend to launch in 2026. We'll also be sending separately just to ensure that we have a redundancy. We don't want to put all our eggs in the same basket. We're going to send separately science instruments from Canada. We sort of have a little piece of the entire endeavor. Before we ended the call, I asked Sid where he saw space exploration in the next 10 years. In the next 10 years, what do you think the future of space travel is going to look like? As I mentioned, we have the Artemis 1, which is the uncrewed flight to the moon. And then we have Artemis 2, where we'll have a Canadian and three American astronauts orbit the moon and come back safely. And then the exciting Artemis 3, which is where uh, the intention is to actually land on the moon, boots on the moon. Then there's the robotic missions that will set up the infrastructure and, and have a permanent base uh, on the moon. Uh, so I'm really looking forward to that permanent uh, station on the moon which which you know communicates with the earth a lot of things have to go right before then with artemis 1 and artemis 2 the actual mission planning for artemis 3 and what the sorties and what what it will look like i don't have the details at this point they're going to be revealed as the years uh, go by and also as the successes come back and the data comes back and also failures you know we learn a lot from failure so the, the systems are designed with failure in mind, and that's why we have backup systems as well. So we'll be learning from all of those different uh, events that take place. And once the data is back, I think that the agencies who are working together will determine which astronauts go and exactly what the missions missions will entail. And you know, we're very excited to be able to share that with the public as well. Uh, but this is a this is a baby step. You know, we have to learn to crawl before we learn to walk, uh, and we have to learn to walk before we learn to run. Uh, and so we, we're, we're, ta we're taking our time with the planning and we want to get it right. Humanity is returning to the moon. That much can be said. The bumps and delays are just stepping stones in our goal to get there. And with the new launch date drawing closer, we can only hold our breath and hope that this one is successful. If you're interested in learning more about returning to the moon or what space travel can really do for society, I highly recommend checking out the episode I recently did with the former commander of the International Space Station, Chris Hatfield. He does an amazing job of putting things into perspective and explaining what space travel can really do for those of us on Earth. But what can be said is that humanity is going back to the moon. Thank you for listening to Technality, a Narcity Media podcast. It's hosted and produced by me, Jacqueline Swan. 
I'd like to thank my executive producers, Owen Leach and Jackie Van Dinther. To never miss out on where your future is headed, subscribe to Technality wherever you listen to your podcasts. And for more tech content, check out Technality Socials.